Hi, welcome to Lutheran Basics. I'm Pastor Jonathan Petzold. I serve as senior pastor here at Trinity Lutheran Church in Roselle. And I'm Krista Petzold. I'm Pastor Jonathan's wife. Um, this is our first lesson out of six in the Introduction to Lutheranism series, which is the core content for the new member class at Trinity. Um, our new member class also has an in-person component uh, where we will dig deeper into these topics and work through questions. So if you're part of that class, uh, make sure you write down your questions as you follow along in your, um, in your journal and uh, bring them with you to the discussion time. Um, we, have, we have six episodes coming up. Today we're going to be talking about the Bible and Christianity in general and then Lutheranism in particular a little bit. Uh, but then in the next five weeks, we're going to work through each of the six chief parts in Luther's small catechism. Awesome. So our, our first lesson for today uh, is Chris, Christianity as the story of everything. We're talking about the Bible and Lutheranism. So we're just starting at the very basics of what it's all about. So as you listen to this or watch this, follow along uh, starting on page three in your journal. So let's talk about Christianity as a religion uh, and uh, really as a true story of everything. Um, and and that, that word religion, like right away, uh, is maybe something that we should talk about. Where a religion, uh, we would say, is something that, that explains our origin. It, it explains our destiny. Uh, it kind of explains our, our purpose. Uh, it, it really just helps, to, helps us to make sense of the world. So you could almost say that it's something like a story that explains reality. Uh, it's not a story in a fictional sense. It's it's really a truth claim about the world. So so that's what a religion is. Um, so if you're following along, look at A. Uh, a Christian is someone who has a particular way of living, speaking, and thinking because Jesus' death and resurrection atones for their sin and gives them eternal life. Right. So what that means is because, you know, so every religion has its own story, right? Its own, like meta-narrative or like what you know um so what what that means is that if you are a christian you believe that jesus actually was a person who was also god and that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead um and that is going to impact every part of your life that story that that truth claim about reality um follows through to the way we live and everything that we do and so that's what we mean when we say when we describe ourselves as being confessional, we mean that our lives and our words confess that story. Um, so, and where do we find out information about what that story is uh, in the Bible, right? So we're going to talk about the Bible now. Yeah, yeah. So, like, what is the Bible? How is the Bible our story? You know, uh, we don't find our names in there. So, so what does it mean that the Bible would be our story? Uh, and, and perhaps the Bible is not something that's new to you, or maybe you haven't read it, but you know of it. Um, the Bible is a, uh, kind of think of it as a library of 66 books. And you have 39 books in the Old Testament, and you've got 27 books in the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament, of course, is much older. Uh, it was written about 400 years or completed about 400 years before the New Testament uh, came about. Uh, the, the New Testament, however, was written in a much smaller period of time, uh, somewhere around 60 to, 80, 60 to 90 A.D. Um, and, and the early church used all these books, um, the, the Old Testament all the way up uh, through the New Testament, uh, in worship. The early church treated them uh, as the authoritative word of God. So they, they considered these books to be completely true. 
Um, and uh, it was not just an arbitrary word. It was a word from God. It was a word that the apostles who were authorized by Jesus to speak on God's behalf and, and really by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. uh, to, to write these books, uh, which means that for them and also then for us today, the, the Bible is um, useful for teaching, uh, for for uh, kind of forming and um, uh, kind of prescribing or describing uh, our religion uh, and how we see our lives. Uh, and, and that that is true regardless of time, regardless of nation or culture or people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bible is, is for the whole world authoritative, right? Yeah, and that also means it has no errors in it, right? right? It's perfect. And while our translation might, you know, it's possible to have a bad translation. I don't think we do, but like... In its original manuscripts, we believe that Scripture is um, completely God-breathed and without error. Right, right. So so if we look at um, just the very beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1 through 3, uh, Genesis 1 through 3 kind of sets the stage. Uh, it, it really begins that, uh, if we're calling religion like a story of everything, uh, it begins that story of everything. So uh, if you had time on your own, go ahead and read uh, the entirety of Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, that'd be helpful. Uh, but we're going to move fairly, through it fairly quickly and kind of hit the, the highlights. Uh, but you can have your Bibles open with you as we, as we go through this. Okay. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Awesome. So uh, so you've got the first five verses, and you've got uh, the Trinity that is already there um, in, in eternity. They, they already exist, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, God creates light uh, using just his word, right? Uh, and then it, as you go on reading through the, the six days of creation, you see that, of course, day one, we get lights, which also means that we get like day and night out of that. Uh, day two, God separates the uh, waters from the sky. He's kind of, you can almost kind of like imagine God like stretching out uh, like Play-Doh, you know, uh, <laughs> creation, right? Uh, and then day three, you get land and, and sea, and then you even start to see vegetation, and so by day three, you've kind of got the stage set. Uh, everything is there uh, because now God is going to populate all that with creatures. So then on day four, uh, you get the sun, moon, and stars, uh, and and God puts them kind of in this setting that he's made. On day five, you get uh, fish in the sea and birds in the air. And then by day six, you get uh, both the animals that are created and then mankind is created. Uh, and, and at the end of each day, God says it is good. So uh, was was creation good or bad? Well, it, of course, you know, if you're reading, it is good. Uh, it is God's good world, and he declares it so. Let's keep on going. Okay, we're going to skip ahead to verse 26 now. Um, then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right, so so like within like the first ten minutes of this uh, uh, Lutheran basics class, we're already getting to like the, the the super deep like meaning of life kind of stuff, right? But you've got mankind uh, that is made in God's image. Now that's kind of a, a peculiar phrase, right? What does it mean to be made in in God's image? We don't really really use that word that way very often. But uh, to be in the image of God means that when the rest of creation saw mankind. Um, they, they saw something that looked like God. It wasn't God himself, but but uh, people look like God in uh, what God gives them to do. And so you see that um, Adam and Eve are given these, these two jobs from God himself. Uh, these, these two jobs are to be fruitful and multiply, so to have children, uh, to raise children and, and kind of fill the earth, uh, but then to subdue it, to, to have dominion over the earth. And that dominion is a, um, a dominion that is not domination, but, but caring for God's creation that he called good. And so mankind is really given this charge to uh, keep that creation good and to, and to care for it and cultivate it. Um, so really in a way that, that God would. Uh, so if they look like God like while they're doing that. Uh, and that, that's also what well, we don't see it in this passage where we might call uh, Adam and Eve righteous, which is like a churchy word that you might hear. Uh, but, but to be righteous means to be in a right relationship. So they're in a right relationship with God, their creator, and they're in a right relationship with uh, all of creation around them. And so by, by doing uh, what God tells them to do to take care of the world, uh, they're being righteous. So then and they live in God's image. Now, let's keep on going. All right, we're going to move to chapter 2, verse 15. Um, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Um, and now we're going to skip ahead to chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. 
Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Hmm. All right. There's a lot there, right? So, so I guess a couple of questions might come out of that would be like, why was the tree there in the first place? Hmm. You know, uh, like why would it, it on, on first reading, it almost sounds like there's this, a uh, huge flaw in God's perfect good creation where this tree can just kind of like snap and make everything wrong, right? So so I guess, like, why was the tree there? Uh, I think we call this tree the knowledge of good and evil, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I think that it often gets kind of a, almost a bad rap. I mean, understandably why, because <laughs> of the tree, everything is not the way it should be, right? Uh, but But I think in a lot of ways, that tree was like Adam and Eve's church, Right, mm-hmm. where they, they would go and um, whenever they, see, they would see that tree every morning, uh, you can kind of imagine uh, they would see that tree and they, the first thing that they would remember is that oh God told them not to eat from that tree, right? So it reminds them of of who is in charge, uh, who who kind of makes the rules around here, uh, and they would remember all right that's God. Yeah, it reminds them that they're the creature and God is the creator, mm-hmm. so it keeps the order of things. Um, and, and is, in a sense, it's it's the word of God for them. And right. they can practice living in that word by doing what God's word is, which is to not eat the fruit. Yeah. So this, this if you've never heard this before, this comes from um, Luther's commentary on Genesis. <laughs> so we're not making this up. Like... <laughs> Maybe he made it up, but, you know. No. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. Yeah, so so they would have, I think that they would have actually loved this tree. Uh, because like God being in charge to them would have been actually a good thing, and so to remember that He's the one who gave them this this beautiful place and, and perfection and this abundant life, um, and and to not eat from that tree, uh, it was almost like that tree, the fruit of that tree, was not literal fruit, but fruit that reminded them where their life actually comes mm-hmm. from, you know. Um, so, so they would remember not not only who the creator was, but also what they were supposed to do instead. So, instead of eating from the tree, what are they supposed to do? Take care of God's world. So, so it also is a tree that reminded them of their purpose, like reminded them of their of their meaning for existence, which was also a good thing, and they they loved it. They they enjoyed that, right? Um, so then, then of course, uh, they they eat from the tree. Uh, Eve uh, is. Uh, deceived and and her husband uh, is there with her the entire time and he could have uh, stopped it but instead he lets the world unravel before his eyes right um, and, and and oh and the image of God this is interesting because what does Satan tempt Eve with oh right right that uh, if you eat this uh, you will be like God right and we already read in Genesis one that they were like they were made in God's image. Right. And so Satan kind of um, equates being like God with being able to choose between good and evil. Um, and, and, and Adam and Eve uh, so far don't have like a temptation problem. Up until this point, it's not like they uh, have like this nagging feeling to do something against God. Uh, which is why I sometimes hear like maybe the truth is like a cosmic test. I don't necessarily think that that's what it was. Um, because um, it was like a test to see if they would continue to serve God or choose God. That was that was actually Satan's temptation in the first place. Was um, hey, if you do this, then you you always get to choose uh, between God or not God. 
And so uh, they reached the tree because they were deceived, um, and they eat the fruit because they oh, thought Eve was that deceived. Eve was deceived. Yeah, not, not Adam. Yeah, although, and then I think that's actually a knock against Adam, right? Because he was not deceived, and he was there the entire time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that also makes him more um, complicit or culpable. And that's all. That's yeah. all in the New Testament. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, that's right. So sin, I guess we could say simply, is rebellion against the creator. Creator. It's saying, I, I'm not satisfied with being the creature that God made me to be. Um, I'm going to rebel against him and take something for myself that was unintended for me. Uh, and you can see how self-destructive that actually is. So, so let's let's see how this plays out then, uh, right. starting verse 14. Okay, so, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Mm, All right. Wow. So, so there we, we can see, all right, so God's handing out these curses. It, 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 it sounds like a, like a sad end of the story, right? But we should ask, all right, so, so what does God promise? Because uh, there's actually a promise in there if you caught it. Uh, and then, and then if, if God is cursing things, which he is, we should also talk about like what is actually cursed. So uh, did, did you catch what God's promise is in there? So in verse um, 15, is the promise, right? We call this the proto-evangelium. Yeah, if you, if you want to like impress people at parties, you can throw that yeah. word out there, right? Proto, so it means first gospel, Proto-evangelium. Right? Yeah. 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 So um, he says, um, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Mm. So that is a reference to... Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. So, so Satan's offspring in that is plural. And then the woman's offspring, uh, if you look at the Hebrew, is singular. And then it refers to him as, well, him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is talking about Jesus, where um, where, where Satan might uh, bruise his heel, uh, which, you know, if a snake bites your heel, uh, it's, it's like a non-lethal uh, kind of wound, right? And for Jesus, of course, he, he dies on the cross, but then he rises again. So it's, it's a wound that doesn't necessarily stay lethal, right? Whereas Jesus, by by dying on the cross and rising again, crushes Satan. Uh, so you could almost say that Jesus um, accomplishes a reversal of what Satan does, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actually restores... You could definitely say that. You could definitely say that. <laughs> uh, he, he restores creation to what it should be from what Adam and Eve had done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he restores that. So, so right away, in response to Adam and Eve's sin... You have God uh, already setting in motion a way to make things right, 
right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so kind of a cool thing. Uh, uh, and, 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 and if you're reading this right, uh, God curses Satan with Jesus, right? <laughs> Which is kind of a cool thing. But then uh, let's go in and see what else is cursed then, right? Because God curses Satan, but then he, he also curses uh, Adam and Eve, right? The tasks that they've been given are now going to be hard, yeah. basically. Yeah. So uh, being fruitful and multiplying, like now there's going to be this pain and childbearing. Yeah. And then Raising kids work, is hard. work is going to be hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's there's real thorns and there's metaphorical th thorns. Mm -hmm. We have right? actual thistles. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And so that's that's all it's hard. So so they actually so they still have the two jobs. Yeah, the um, jobs are still there. Yeah, their calling has not really changed, but it's now going to be difficult. Yeah, and they will have to look forward to this promise. Yeah. So if you're talking about Ebony being made in the image of God, what they kind of lose in that is the righteousness part. The ability to do it yeah. well. The the right relationship with God and the right relationship with, with his world. Uh, but that's all made right in the offspring who will crush Satan's head. Right. right. Yeah. Whew. All right. So that, that kind of sets up um, this whole, like, religion and, like, what what Christianity is really all about. Right. It kind of shows the origin, the origin story, destiny, uh, and, and kind of gives our purpose and, and kind of helps you to, to in, a, in broad strokes, make sense of the world. So where does Lutheranism fit in all of that, right? Um, and, and so what we would say as Lutherans um, is that God's word, and these are some blanks here for you, God's word is written and proclaimed authoritatively for you, right? So, so we're big on God's word. Yeah, so one of the solas of the Reformation was sola scriptura, right? right. Which... The purpose for that, the reason why Martin Luther and the other reformers wanted to go back to emphasizing the authority of Scripture was for personal assurance of salvation. Mm -hmm. Because Scripture teaches us that we are saved by grace uh, through faith and not by works. And what we, we need something that we can cling to that it does not depend on man. Either other men, like, you know, in the case of the Reformation, like the Roman, the papacy, that whole structure, who were they were saying other things that needed to be done other than what God's word said for salvation, mm -hmm. um, or even ourselves. So, like, when we look into our own hearts and we see that we are, you know, we are not very good at doing good works or we are not very good at having faith or we don't live a very good life, that will cause us to doubt, that will, that will hurt our assurance. And mm -hmm. so scripture is the highest authority and we need it to be that way because anytime we put something other than scripture as that highest authority, um, we're elevating the words of man over the words of God, whether those are our own thoughts and fears and feelings or whether those are the thoughts and feelings of, of somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't want to do that. God's word um, has that first point place of authority. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's really helpful then where, you know, earlier we said that uh, the, the Bible is a 66 uh, book, uh, li uh, like library, right? Uh, that, that kind of gives us God's word. And you said, you mentioned it's, in, it's inerrant, so it doesn't err. Uh, and it's completely trustworthy and authoritative, mm -hmm. um, like, like you've been saying. Um, and, and that it, it's, it's kind of describes what this Christian religion is. And it's something that, that you and I claim as our own. It describes our lives as well. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's why we say, kind of like you were just saying, it's proclaimed then also. It's not just a, 
a knowledge book for head headspace, but right. uh, it it's something that we can that like Jesus gives the church authority to proclaim, right? Uh, yeah, it is the word of God is living and active, right? right? So it actually right. it has power, right? Right. So, um, which I guess is also to say then that a uh, couple, couple more uh, fill in the blanks for you. Lutheranism practices the faith of Jesus and the apostles as closely as we can. Yeah, so the Lutheran Church does not see, um, we, we see ourselves as the historic church or the mm -hmm. historic Western church. So, you know, like um, if you, you kind of picture like the splits that have happened in church history, it's like you kind of think, well, there's the, the Apostles Church and then there's like the Medieval Church and then there's the Roman Catholic Church and then Lutherans like split off of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then there's all these other denominations, but we really see ourselves as standing in the heritage of the historic church. And so this is really important, even though we say scripture alone, what that does not mean is that we interpret scripture all on our own. Like it doesn't mean I grab my Bible and I go out in the woods and now I'm all set and whatever I think it means is what it means. We interpret scripture with the church. And what that means is that like in the Lutheran confessional documents, um, they cited the early church fathers extensively to mm -hmm. demonstrate that what they were teaching wasn't new, that they weren't making something up in the 1500s, but that they were actually recalling to earlier Christian, the early Christian heritage of the first many centuries of, mm. of Christendom. Um, and so sola scriptura does not mean that there's no role for tradition in the church. It just means that tradition is like underneath yeah. scripture. Yeah. Right. Scripture, uh, you, you're not allowed to, make up a doctrine that isn't in the Bible and tell people they have to believe it for salvation. So that's really what it means. So we're not a cult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're, we're simply trying to practice the, the faith that Jesus and the apostles practiced, Right. You know, uh, so, so then I guess we, we can also say, all right. So one of those Lutheran confessional documents that you just mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, is something that you might be holding in your hand right now, which is the Luther's small catechism. Uh, and that's the main textbook that we use for this class. Uh, it looks a little bit like that, right? Uh, and uh, Luther's small catechism, uh, and here's a few more full in the blanks for you, is a summary of how God enters into relationship with us. Uh, and we might say that that's called the means of grace, and we'll talk about that next. What our faith is, and uh, that would be the creed uh, that describes our faith, and how we live out, live that faith out. So the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer is kind of like putting that faith into action. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're good. We're good. All right. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> so we'll, we'll dive a lot more into uh, Luther's small catechism. Uh, hopefully, while you were listening, you jotted, you jotted down some questions or some thoughts or some observations you, you've had, because we could go to a lot deeper on almost any of these different topics, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but while you're thinking about that kind of stuff, also look at the dig deeper section at the end of um, uh, your, your lesson in your journal, uh, and uh, you can prepare your thoughts and your questions for discussion based on those following questions and then dig deeper. So what is a religion? Uh, what good or bad things does the word religion bring to mind? And why did God create the world? Uh, what is sin? And what does Jesus come to do? All right. Thank you.